Hi everyone, welcome to the All Inclusive Podcast, where each week I chat with industry experts and diversity, equity, inclusion executives from the world's leading global brands who share their knowledge, experience and actual takeaways to help inclusive employers create cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive. Today, I'm joined by Alex Martinez. He's the Senior Director of Diversity, Talent, Innovation and Strategic Engagement at Nike. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Natasha. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Appreciate you also. I think um, the best thing to do, let's kick off by telling our listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing what I do at Nike right now. Uh, I identify with he, him pronouns. And for those that are visually impaired or are listening on audio, I am a Latino male. I have dark framed glasses. I'm wearing a red shirt, a little bit of a checkered pattern, and I have coarse black hair and I comb it to the side. And I'm currently sitting and reporting live from our Converse headquarters in Boston. So in terms of my background, I, as I mentioned, I identify as a Latino male. I am a first generation Mexican-American. My parents immigrated, uh, my mother immigrated from Mexico, came here, met my dad, who was born in a small town in West Texas. And so I identify very closely with Mexican-American, Chicano, Tejano, the ways we used to like call it in, in our culture in Texas. And I've born and raised in, in the state of Texas, but I've moved around and lived in different cities. I've lived in Dallas, I've lived in DC for a little bit, lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and then eventually moved back when we had my first child back in Dallas, Texas. And so I homegrown, love being uh, in Texas, but also identifying as well with the broader community, which is a huge passion for me in terms of advancing our Latino community in ways that I can. I've had the opportunity to go to college, first generation to go to college. So I went to university, University of Texas, and there I had the phenomenal opportunity to intern with Deloitte. And through that internship, I landed a full-time offer and I got into the consulting field, which I had no real exposure to, but it was thanks to a lot of different development programs that I was a part of, as well as getting my foot in the door with the initial internship that I was able to have these opportunities to work in corporate America and get that type of exposure. And I really just loved it. And it's interesting because I, my degree was in economics. I didn't have the, the, the credentials to get into the business school. And so I did the next best thing. I went to go get a liberal arts degree in economics, which I thought was pretty close enough in terms of affiliation of, of getting a business degree, uh, but was lucky to have the internship opportunity in HR and then ended up working at American Airlines for a few years and doing some rotational internships before getting the opportunity to do an internship with Deloitte. And so I credit a lot of my experiences to my background in consulting, I, I was a part of our human capital practice at Deloitte, where we are really looking to transform HR organizations from a very consultative, consultative mindset to help organizations advance their HR agenda in different ways. Had the opportunity to work on really great projects with big project teams, big clients like Walmart and PepsiCo, just getting really great exposure to a lot of the great things and best practices that those types of companies do. And then eventually when I decided to, to have a family and I had my first child, I transitioned out of consulting and had the privilege of attending and getting my MBA through 
Emory University at Gozetta Business School. And that was really impactful for me because that was my opportunity to get that business degree that I had been aspiring to get for the longest time. And that also meant a lot to me as well in terms of being first generation to go to college and then now first generation to get a graduate degree. So that was very important for me in terms of giving back to my family and, and the efforts and sacrifices that my family made growing up and giving me the opportunities and affording me the opportunities that otherwise aren't afforded to, to a lot of kids that come from my type of background. So really blessed and, and appreciative of that opportunity. In fact, one of the main things that was a huge revelation for me is landing my first job at a university. I was making more than my father was in his entire career. And he had worked 30 years in the same industry. So that for me was just a huge revelation that wow, I'm just getting afforded this incredible opportunity to go to school, to get this excellent job, be in this field of prestige and getting the opportunity to consult with clients, Fortune 100 clients that most people don't necessarily have that opportunity. So I recognized that privilege very early on, uh, but definitely took that opportunity to learn as much as I could, gain a lot of experience, take that, that opportunity to build relationships and, and build good relationships with clients in terms of thinking strategically about HR. And what I appreciate about that as, as I get into more of my DEI journey, it was taking a lot of those varied experiences and then putting a DEI lens to it. I had always known in the back of my mind, I had early exposure to employee resource groups and working in what was then diversity strategies. It wasn't really the DEI acronym that it is now or DEIB or however you want to identify it. But I got a lot of good early exposure that I knew at some point I wanted to transition into that. But I consider myself a DEI practitioner pretty much my entire life. And so I've had the opportunities to build different experiences, get some exposure, and continue to build my skill sets and capabilities in this space to eventually get to the, to the place where I am now. And so currently I sit in at Nike as a senior director for diversity, talent, innovation, and strategic engagements, as you mentioned. And here I oversee everything from a lot of our apprenticeship programs to finding new and unique diverse pipelines into Nike's organization in partnership with key organizations, clubs, leagues, and even to an extent, some of our key signature athletes. So it's a wildly fascinating opportunity to really invest more in finding diverse people of color and creating new pipelines for the organization in places and spaces typically we've never recruited from. So we have apprenticeship models, we have programs that we are, are we're building cohorts, we're expanding those programs. Uh, we're also uniquely tied to um, other bigger, broader coalitions. One of the coalitions that I, I'm a part of and, and that I'm leading at Nike is our 110 initiative. And that's the, the impetus behind that is to place 1 million Black Americans into family sustaining wage jobs over the next 10 years. And we have a commitment to that. There's a broader coalition of companies that are committed to that as well. And it just speaks to a lot of the great work in this space that still needs to be done, but the progress that we're starting to make in terms of building pathways and pipelines for diverse people of color that typically are not afforded these opportunities. So I can speak to any of that. There's so much great stuff that, that we are doing, but also that I've had the opportunity to get exposure to as, as I build my career and become a DEI practitioner. I never call it an expert. I call it a practitioner. But as I'm gaining skills and, and capabilities in this space, using those as a platform 
to talk about the, the ways that we advance the communities and specifically underrepresented communities going forward. Hmm. That sounds so interesting. Um, and your journey, is, it's been very interesting and very colorful. And actually, I can resonate with you from the point in which you said about you realizing that you when you first got your first job, you're actually earning more than your father because that literally um, happened to myself with my mom. Um, and it was it it it, it does take you back a little bit when you stop and think because I'm from a single parent household my mum worked extremely hard to get to where she was she had to raise two kids the financial burden of of two kids on her own was was primarily her own um and so yeah she worked as hard as she could and then that point when I actually managed to get my first kind of corporate job and it was more than what she was on the smile on her face ah literally it was the best thing in the world because you know how hard they work right um and so yeah I was glad that I was able to do that too for her and also for myself um so yeah I I totally resonate with that and the the project that you've just spoken about it sounds so fantastic and it's important and I think it's it's much it's needed I'm curious what do you envision some of those challenges are going to be for you in being able to achieve that? I think the biggest challenge in my mind is making sure we build good partnerships across HR, right? If I think about our broader stakeholders, even within HR, you have talent acquisition, you have a team thinking about talent management or learning and leadership development. There's so many partners involved in making sure these types of programs are successful. So I I would say first and foremost, it's making sure all of your HR partners are all on the same page and singing off the same song sheet. Where I feel there'll be a lot of challenge in implementing these types of broader apprenticeship programs or key initiatives to to the extent and scale of something like 110 is changing the mindset. And the mindset has always been and historically has been, what type of pedigree do you have? What type of degree do you have? And what type of school are you coming from? And that's hard when you think about certain marginalized communities because they aren't necessarily afforded those opportunities. They don't have the the same access to those resources or education. And so as you're thinking about that educational attainment, how are you thinking a little bit more creatively about your talent? So one of the things we're trying to emphasize and, and focus on a little bit differently than historically has been is having a skills first mindset thinking about skills and capability and using those as credentials as one builds their own specific career, carves out their particular career path. It's less about what degree you have. It's less of, it's more about removing those barriers for individuals so that we level the playing field to have equal access and entry point for everyone and for all talent, right? And once you do that, then you start to change your mindset a little bit on what I think this person can deliver versus what I've seen them deliver and what I know they're capable of. And that I think will help unleash and unlock everyone's potential in terms of being the best selves that they can be. Yeah, totally. I think it's it's important to, it's now's the time to kind of flip flip the norm because um, it's it's been happening for too long. I feel like the that pedigree mindset. So yeah, I agree. Skills-based is, is definitely the way forward. Um, what would you say for organizations that are kind of starting their journey with regards to kind of diverse talent and attracting diverse talent and top talent and retaining that top talent? 
um what are three of the things from your experience that organizations should really put in place from from the start i would say first and foremost it's getting a current state snapshot of what exists right in terms of what are those gaps right because you could boil the ocean here there's so many things that you could go after and I think the key is really prioritization, right? So I would first start by just taking a snapshot. What's your current state look like? How does that look like in terms of the individuals that you're interviewing? How many people come through that pipeline? How many people you place? And then ultimately what their progression is. So I'm thinking of the entire employee experience. And if you can get a good snapshot or data on those specific moments in time, along that career journey or along that employee life cycle. And I think you, then you'll be able to hone in on where some of the, the true focus areas need to be, right? Is it recruitment? Is it that you're not focused on the right pipelines or you're not going to the right places and spaces to find talent? Is it, and, and is it even more than that? Is it, how, how are you being perceived in terms of externally to customers, to, to future employees, to the community? What's just your overall perception? So that's first defining what your employer value proposition is and how is that perceived externally? And then how are people coming through in terms of how you're attracting and recruiting talent? And then also taking a hard look internally at those different pain points, right? What does the onboarding process look like? How is that different for certain groups of, of individuals or across functions? What is that development journey to and where are people getting stuck? And a lot of times what we, when we dig into the numbers, you can very clearly see as, as people do self-identify, we have those statistics and metrics to say, okay, well, how are certain demographics or people who identify in certain groups progressing at the same rate as others, right? And you use that as your comparison and as your, your base of comparison to, to really hone in on well, there seems to be something happening at the middle level, or there seems to be lack of representation at the senior level. And maybe it's even more specific to a particular function. Because as you start to hone in on these gaps a little bit more, you'll start to build an action plan a little bit more targeted instead of boiling the ocean and saying, we need to go after diverse people of, people of color at the executive level, right? But maybe it's more nuanced than that. Maybe it's a little bit more specific. And if you can target and, and those specific gaps and be a little bit more crisp on what you're going after, you can start to make progress and then ultimately use that as a use case for developing other pipelines or thinking about other underrepresented groups in your broader organization. So that would be one I would say is, is really taking a current state. And then two, I think the other thing to think about is how are you balancing your quantitative and your qualitative information? So in terms of quantitative, we have employee surveys, you have yearly employee surveys, and to an extent, depending on the type of company that you have, you might be able to get down to, for instance, for us, the retail level, right? So what is that customer sentiment? What is that employee sentiment at the store level? And then really seeing what the distinction is between the two and where some of the gaps are, but then using that as an opportunity to, to take a very quantitative snapshot of what your employees are saying, what your customers are saying, about you as well, and then balancing that with some qualitative information. So that's really focusing in on hosting employee listening sessions, really hearing about where some of the pain points are from your employees, and then going a level deeper from a DEI lens to say, well, what's our experience for particular marginalized groups or underrepresented groups? 
what is that, how is that experience differ for, let's say by gender or by race and ethnicity? And then taking it a step further, if you can, to then have specific listening sessions on what's the experience for our black females or what is our experience for working parents or what is our experience for working parents who identify as people of color, right? And really target in and, and get very deep in terms of what some of those action plans can be. Because what you'll find as you dig into it, both from a quantitative and qualitative perspective is some of those themes will start to match up. And then now you'll have both quantitative and qualitative information to back up essentially what that insight is. So I think it's taking a very data-driven approach to DEI. And I feel from my experiences that's been lacking in terms of my experience in the space, but also what I'm hearing from fellow practitioners as well as more broadly is that a lot of times HR and even to an extent DEI can feel fluffy. It's more about training. It's more about the topics around unconscious bias and allyship, but it's, it's much more deeper there. And, and there's an opportunity to then create really strong programs that ultimately will be sustainable to fix and, and, and fix these gaps and create solutions that I think will benefit the entire organization. Why do you think that is that we've kind of stuck with the, the fluffy stuff and it's not, not much data? I, I feel naturally we're drawn by emotion. And so we're naturally emotionally drawn to certain things. And that's not to say that that's not something we should consider. We absolutely should create first psychological safety and emotional comfort. And that's having discussion around everything that's going on in the world and addressing it. And I think a lot of times we shy away from having those conversations in the workplace. But for instance, the first thing that I do given some of the recent events that have happened over the past few weeks or the past few months. And I won't, don't even have to name them because it's quite obvious everything that's happening in the world, right? But I have very specific space and time before I start any of my team meetings to just give the team time and space to just decompress a little bit, just to talk about it, see what's on people's minds and, and get it out there. Because these things do affect us as we think about the future of work and, and, and how we're evolving in this next next phase, the, the great resignation, the great reshuffle, whatever you wanna call it, right? So we think about the next step. We're blending a lot of what happens at home and what happens at work. And so a lot of times those emotions come with us in terms of how we work. And so again, if we're thinking about getting the best out of people and making sure everybody can be their best selves, we have to create time and space for that. And my first inclination is to give time and space to my team to just process and have an opportunity to voice and create that psychological safety so that they can feel that they're being heard and being seen and then ultimately continue doing what they do best. Yeah, no, I think it's important. Um, sorry, I feel like we've, we've gone off track a little bit with, with the um, three, three things that organizations need to do. But um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's so important to, to give give time because there's a lot happening in this world which there's a lot to process um absolutely and yeah I think the work and life are blurring those lines are are, are very much blurred so they are and mm -hmm. if I were to say my third if you were asking for three things right so my third would be to really map out who does what because the beauty of DEI is it's not just an HR program it's a business strategy and with that, there's an entire value chain 
of activities that happen across the business, right? So everything from where you're purchasing from, what vendors you use, what's your supplier diversity looks like, right? We think about, we talked about a lot of the HR activities, but in terms of how that is a broader strategy for the organization, how that ties to your sustainability goals, how it ties to your overall ESG goals, right? We think about DEI really being a bigger, broader strategy and purpose, right? Because it ties to everybody's individual purpose at the end of the day, right? Because the whole goal of it is to create that sense of belonging so that everybody feels that they can be their best selves. And so what I love about that is it's all encompassing, but at the same time, there's a lot to unpack there. And so it's really getting keen on who are your key stakeholders in this work? How can you work together to really activate this and, and activate that strategy? Once you've defined what your DEI purpose is, what your strategy is, what those objectives are, both short-term and long-term, and then ultimately what KPIs or measures of success you're going to think about in terms of what that strategy is. It's really then thinking about the broader organization, who you're going to engage and how. Because what I find in this work, it's not about unconscious bias training. It's not about putting everybody through a mandatory session on DEI. It's really about changing hearts and minds. And the way to change hearts and minds is first to identify those that think about DEI in their everyday work and others that might be opposed to it in terms of not wanting to do it or not engaged. And so it, then it's a lot more time and investment to make sure you're changing hearts and minds the best that you can to really advance the work that is needed for the entire business. Mm. And so you've recently gone from working at Young Brands into, into Nike. Um, how was it kind of starting that new position what how do you, do you know what to prioritize it's a great question there is a lot happening especially moving to a company like nike and the beauty of it is i was able to take some time and space to really absorb and learn and listen and that's the first approach i took in terms of my first 90 days i sat like a fly on the wall and I just listened in to different conversations. I wanted to make sure I was capturing feedback from my peer group in terms of my direct leadership team, and then also more of the broader leaders across the business to hear what some of the pain points were. I was spending time with some of our specific employee groups that maybe were a little bit more functionally aligned or more specific to a particular affinity group or or an underrepresented group within the organization so that I would hear what the voice was of that particular group. And then I would just start to draw and connect all these different dots in terms of what are some of those pain points that are shared? What are some of the unique differences and nuances to each of these groups? And then starting to formulate in my mind, okay, what is the, what is the broader impact of these groups interacting as well as who are the broader stakeholders that I, in my role, am gonna be influencing? at the same time, and then starting to really draw and connect those dots. I think ultimately my, my purpose is really to be a, a connector. And I think the beauty of DEI is you can be a connector. Everything from executive leaders to our broader HR team to each of the business functions that we touch within the organization, down to the various employees that support. And in the beauty of working for consumer products, retail, or working in this particular industry is you also get to touch associates at the retail stores 
and you get to touch people across all various employee levels. And that's what it's honestly very exciting about working for a company like Yum Brands, working for a company like Nike, is getting to see these initiatives and strategies start to cascade down to where, honestly, people interact more with customers mm. and getting to hear what it's like to be in the front line. And how do we make that connection from this corporate strategy and vision to getting it down to what people do on a day-to-day basis. And that's what's been very exciting for me. And so navigating that's been difficult, right? With the the type of size and scale of of the organization, but it just takes a little bit of listening and connecting the dots. And then ultimately just then pressure testing what some of those pain points are as you think about what the broader strategy is for the organization. And then how can you become that catalyst to make it all come together? Mm. I think, Listening is such an important key thing when it comes to DEI work um, overall. And it sounds like it's one of the key things that you feel that should really be happening or from your experience that, that needs to happen if you're going to be going into to new organization. What do you think is, have you seen kind of any challenges with that? Because I mean, it's one thing to listen, but it's also another thing to be the person that's having to tell you those pain points or having to to open up so I'm curious to know from your experience if you've faced any pushback from either leaders or, or any individuals where you you're wanting them to give you the information but they're just not really open to the idea how do you turn that around yeah I love that question because I think there's things that you can do directly in terms of building relationships I think back to my experience at Yum, and I saw the beauty of building relationships, first and foremost, especially as you think about a franchisee makeup in terms of how a franchisor works with a franchisee, there's so much influencing that needs to happen. And so first and foremost, it's relationship building with key stakeholders. So then you can understand what their key pain points are. But then it's also utilizing your particular peers at either at your level or in some other type of of function that support the work that you do. So for instance, at at Nike, we have the beauty of having a center of excellence, but also business partners that exclusively are doing DEI work in their particular business function. And we have them spread out across all the various business functions in the organization. So the key is, If I'm trying to build a relationship with a key stakeholder and they're having a tough time about absorbing DEI, well, I can absolutely utilize my partner who's a business partner focused on DEI and leverage that relationship to help influence and understand. And then have that as an opportunity for a sounding board in terms of what do you think is working? What can we work together to do to to, to help improve that relationship, but also help change the, the hearts and minds of others? And I think it's, a, I think it's a, a unique balance in terms of how you do it, but I think it's certainly not something you have to do alone. It's, it's really utilizing those relationships or maybe even building other relationships with strong allies that are sitting close to that business or somewhat auxiliary to that business that can help advocate for this work and talk about the importance of it. And I think the beauty of creating programs in certain parts of the organization or almost running these different test pilots is you can pressure test how successful a a program is 
by the executive level engagement that you get and the stakeholders involved. And so if they are pretty much pounding the table in terms of you have to do this program, then that is the ultimate advocacy for the success of the program in some other part of the business. And so you have people almost attracted to that program because they've seen the success and heard about the success through some of their leaders that sit in executive roles. And so then you just create this advocacy for those types of programs and that ultimately will benefit other parts of the organization. Mm. Oh, so interesting. Thanks, Alex, for that. That's that, that's Absolutely. really helpful. Um, I have a bit of a well-being question for you. It's one of the questions that I, I tend to, I've, I've asked uh, quite a few leaders in, in past episodes. We know DEI, it's, it's a lot of work. And how do you find the balance? How do you avoid the burnout of all the, the great work that you're doing? I love that because I'm certainly forward focused on well-being going forward, right? I think one of my biggest lessons over this last couple of years through the pandemic is navigating in a virtual environment across a global scale and doing it with a newborn (laughs) and already having a, at the time, a four-year-old. So now I have a six-year-old and I have a two-year-old. And one of the biggest lessons for me is, is, is ruthlessly prioritizing. And I wanted to do a lot of things. I wanted to make a lot of people happy, but what I wanted to focus on is first making sure my family is happy, making sure I'm giving the best that I can to my family, not overextending myself. Because what I find is if I'm overextending myself too much at work, my family doesn't get the best of me and, and also vice versa. If, if I'm not giving myself an opportunity to really invest in work, then I can't be the best person I, I need to be at work. But I, I need to balance that. And I think the best way, and I'm telling you this coming fresh off of vacation, I was <laughs> able to take an entire week and a half off, completely unplugged. I, I, had, I have an amazing team that, that helps support me through that. But I think it was important for me to do that because it's the first opportunity for me in, in the last couple of years where I've had the opportunity to fully disconnect, getting time spent away with my family and, and you could say in a way with, with kids, especially kids at that young age, it's not really a vacation. It's more just a family trip somewhere else. I, know, I got to right? do and, and completely disconnect from work. And I can tell you, I came back. Yes, there was a lot to do when I came back. Yes, I'm still overwhelmed and coming off of all the things that I need to do. But that was a, cha- a game changer for me because I'm coming in with a smile on my face and I'm coming in with this recharge and, and, just tenacity to want to do the work. And I think a lot of times we stretch ourselves too thin because there's so much going on. There's so much heavy things that happen outside of our virtual four walls and even outside of our homes that influence us and, and, and make it harder for us to be our best selves. There's a lot of things going on in the world. There's a lot of things that people are dealing with with their own individual, individual families. And then work just adds on top of that, right, in terms of the stress and pressure. So I think it's first and foremost important to create time and space away where you fully disconnect to the best extent that you can. And then you come back and give yourself some grace and give yourself time to recoup, catch up. It's okay to not be fully caught up. It's okay to not have everything done the way you need it to be done. I think that's important. And I think it's also important that I make sure I set an example for my team. And I, I do that so my team can feel encouraged. They can feel that psychological safety that 
when they're doing the same, they can fully disconnect and no one's going to come after them because they were away, right? And they were working on their vacation or whatever time away they need. I'm all about mental health and the sustainability of this because there's, there's going to be something else that happens. It's going to be another event. There's going to be another pandemic. I mean, there's always going to be something that happens and to create sustainability and to create long-term longevity in this type of environment that we're in, it's absolutely important to take full time off and recharge your batteries. I think it's important that that leaders in in your position are are role modeling those sorts of behaviors um, because I think it's important and and no doubt anyone that is a part of your team is going to feel comfortable to be able to then follow suit. Thank you so much again for for joining me today. Like I feel like we've had such a good conversation. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed it also. <laughs> Absolutely. No, thank you for having me. This is just great. I appreciate it. So before we part our ways, unfortunately, would you mind giving our listeners some piece of advice for the DEI leaders of tomorrow? I love that question because in a way I have just fallen into DEI myself, right? And I would encourage those up and coming DEI leaders to really just take on as many different experiences as you can, because you're going to become a great DEI practitioner. I think of myself actually more as a talent practitioner, having the opportunity to have done a lot of great work in creating a talent management process or doing learning and development, doing leadership development. I I had the opportunity to be an HR business partner for various functions in previous companies. And I now bring all that experience with me to the table. And now I'm putting a DEI lens to it. I would encourage those up and coming leaders in the DEI space to get as many varied experiences as you can. It's It's only gonna benefit you in the long run. And there's plenty of great certifications. There's great programs for sure that um, are focused more on education and building more educational aspects to DEI. And those are all great. Um, But I would tell you the, the lived experience of being a practitioner is probably the best thing that you can acquire over your time in terms of your skill sets and capabilities. So if you have the opportunity to launch a leadership development program, and maybe it has a focus on people of color, take on that opportunity, get that experience, see what it's like to build a program like that. Get an opportunity to even go outside of HR. I, I Because DEI is very much a business strategy, business driver, I think there's an opportunity there to get some really good experience. I, one of the things I find that has been very beneficial for me is going into the stores and feeling what it's like and walking in the same shoes as our retail associates. And doing that for whether it's a week at a time or whether that's a couple days in the store or doing a rotation in and out, just really getting a sense of what it's like on the ground floor and what people experience on a day-to-day basis. I think taking those, those lived experiences and walking in those shoes are probably one of the most important things I've done. And I know I'm more of in a consumer products retail environment, but if you get the opportunity to do that on a shop floor or a manufacturing site or a warehouse, it really can apply to any industry. So you have the opportunity to really experience what it's like and what people go through in their everyday. Mm, yeah. Oh, thanks so much, Alex, for that piece of advice. It's great. Um, how can our listeners connect with you? LinkedIn. 
I'm always open and willing to have a discussion on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Of course, I, I do post a lot in terms of the great things that we're doing at Nike on social media. So feel free to follow me there. Um, but otherwise, I'm always open to conversation and willing to share any best practices that I've learned along the way in terms of my experience and happy to have those conversations. Oh, fantastic. Thanks again so much, Alex, for joining me today. And um, listeners, don't worry, I will be linking Alex's details below the episode so you can stay connected with him and follow the great content and great work he's doing at Nike. Thanks, Natasha. Really appreciate the conversation today.